You put your all into delivering quality and value on time. And when your customer doesn't pay, it doesn't just hurt your feelings. It hurts your business. At MetCredit, we get it. We collect overdue receivables fast and treat your customers with respect. Go to MetCredit.com to get started. MetCredit, we get it. This is Overdue Advice, the podcast about cash flow strategies to grow your business. Brought to you by MetCredit. Everybody pay up. Welcome to Overdue Advice, the podcast about cash flow strategies to grow your business. I'm Andreas Schwabi. Credit and debt collection is as much about social engineering and art as it is about business and finance. The crux of debt collection is asking for the money, but it's not like a sales job. Tim Paulson is an accounts receivable expert focused on training collectors. He's the author of several books, including the five-star Amazon ratings for Paid in Full and Tipping the Scales about maximizing collection returns. He's also the chair and managing director of the International Center for Professional Collections, or ICPC. The conversation with Tim Paulson covers a lot of ground, but we stick to the central focus trained collectors make a bigger difference to your business's bottom line than untrained collectors. Tim Paulson has a unique and engaging way of talking about collections that's relatable and understandable. We spoke to him on Skype from his office in Coburg, Ontario. Tim Paulson, thanks for being on Overdue Advice. My pleasure to be here. Thank you. Great. Now, before we get to the background and everything else, let's talk about uh, you and what you do as the head of uh, ICPC. Well, my business is based, I'm located in Coburg, Ontario, but I travel uh, pretty well the world, really. I've delivered programs in tw- up to, uh, I think it's 25 countries so far in accounts receivable management. And it's really how to collect and still keep your customers. That's what it's all about. So live programs, uh, in-house programs for uh, companies. Uh, public programs, and there were a number of people who had come out to our programs. They wanted to have some training, but they might have some people who either uh, couldn't make the travel, couldn't do the trip, uh, perhaps uh, budgets could have been involved, uh, couldn't get away from the office. And that's when we developed uh, what is called the PACE program. And PACE is Professional Account Collection Education. That, being online, you can take at your own pace, which (laughs) I think is kind of clever, and so that's a, you can take as long as six months with uh, 10 modules uh, for the online program to uh, improve what, whatever level one is to be better at accounts receivable within their organization, collect and still keep the customers. And that's, that's what we do. That keeps us pretty busy. So how did you get into collections? What was your career track that got you from your start to today? I think we could talk to just about anybody who's in collections, and at least the start of that career track would be the same. I fell into it, and I think everybody else does. Uh, I've been to the, through the college and high school yearbooks. I haven't seen under anybody's picture where it says, I want to be a collector when I get out of school. I want to phone people up, and I want to ask them for money. Uh, some people, maybe somebody was uh, goes, goes on maternity leave somewhere, and they ask them to fill in, or uh, maybe they say that uh, Joe's a little too abrasive to work in customer service. Let's move them over to collections. Uh, For myself, I was in a large retail organization working in a section of their advertising department, obscure and unglamorous section of their advertising department. I didn't know what I wanted to do with my career, but I knew what I didn't want to do. I wanted to do something else. They advertised for positions in accounts receivable. Now, they didn't say collections. They found when they said collections, not as many people would apply. 
I thought I was going to be an accountant. I didn't know any better. I applied for the job. There was a woman there named Phyllis Shire, who I was going to say talked me into the, the position, but that's not quite true. She gave me a chance. Uh, Phyllis hired me, and I started on a Monday morning training in their collection department. And my training at that time was like it was for so many other people. They sat me down next to an experienced collector, and they said, listen to her for a few days, and then here's your telephone, here's your account, and away you go. Learning by experience, and it's a pretty hard taskmaster. You can pick up some of the bad habits along with the good ones. Uh, but over a period of time, uh, I paid attention. I went to programs. I read books and got to the point where I was uh, – well, I had attended a, a, a receivables training program in Pasadena, California. And I was impressed with the apparent lifestyle of someone who teaches uh, programs. And I'm kind of a frustrated actor, I guess, in some, re in, in some aspects myself. So I like the idea of, uh, of doing uh, training. Talked to the speaker that was there. He encouraged me in uh, – some things that I should study, and also encouraged me in writing. He suggested that uh, you don't start off writing a book. What you do is you write articles. Articles become chapters. You get enough chapters together, you get a book. And once you have a book, you're an expert, and people would like to have you come in and talk to their people. And that's pretty well the way it's worked. And that's what we've been doing for the last, uh, I guess, 30 years now. I have to ask, how, how have you seen collections change from when you started till today? Well, we back in back in the day, you know, I sound like one of those folks. Back in the day, we didn't have any of the, uh, didn't have a computer on our desk. We, I'm sure we had the old rotary phones that we we had used. We had nothing electronic. We took our own notes. So all of uh, the the there's so much that has changed uh, for electronics uh, and and the tools that we have available to us. But I tell you something that hasn't changed one little bit. It still comes to the point where you've got someone on the telephone and you're trying to convince them to do something for the most part they don't want to do and like it. And that part hasn't changed at all. So it is uh, this business of professional collections. It is a science and it's an art. And the science part is by all means, use all the tools available to you. We've got a lot of them that, that we, can, we can use these days. But the art part, the art part is the training. We still have to train people to be able to uh, speak to someone on the telephone. We have to train people to deal with the excuses that we're going to hear from someone for not paying their, their accounts on time as agreed. Now, when I was preparing for this conversation, there were you know online materials from International Center for Professional Collections, and they referred to receivables as a company's most liquid asset after cash. Why is that a helpful way to think about that? It seems that there's senior management does not give the attention to their receivables department and their employees that they would give to many other areas of the company. Think, for example, if you work in the sales department, there's probably two or three conferences, at least one, that uh, the people will attend every year. But when you think of, of the people who work in accounts receivable, maybe they get to attend one every four or five years, but that's it. They just don't pay as much attention to them that they, as, as they should. And, and it is a, a large asset within the organization and recognizing that and saying, hey, well, this is an area we have to pay attention to. How can we improve? What can we do better than we do now? And that question, I think, needs to be asked and answered uh, every day in the accounts receivable business of any large company, any company, not just large ones. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the question often comes down to how many percent of your revenue do you want to just not collect this year? That's right. You know, like how That's much right. money do you just not want to have of, of what's owed to you? 
and and you're better off not to sell to some customers at all rather than go through all the expense of selling them things and and then not collecting on it it costs you an awful awful lot of money to sell them try to follow up whichever yeah now there's going to be some losses in in, in professional collections i mean it, it is a risky business uh, we know that uh, if there was no credit we wouldn't be able to do a lot of the things that we do now but uh, professional collections is not in having no losses but it's having no surprises and no no managed losses. My, my philosophy in collections, uh, whether you are a consumer or you're a business, things happen. And I'm willing to work with you, bend over backwards if I can, to try to keep you as a customer and also get uh, as much of the past due amount paid on time as we can. But other than that, other than that, a deal's a deal. Because there are some people out there, be they individuals or companies, that are practicing cash management with your money. The only reason they're not paying you. You know why, Andreas? Hmm. They don't want to. They don't want to. They're doing other things. When you think of your competition out there, too many companies uh, will think of their competition as being other firms and organizations that provide the same service and product that they do. Now, granted, that's the direct competition. But if you're in the receivables department, when you're in the receivables department, your competition is any place they owe money Hmm. is going to be your competition, any place they might spend money particularly thinking in the consumer business. You might phone someone up and they say, well, I'd like to pay you, but I just got back from my vacation. And you think of, you know, the nerve, gall, audacity, temerity to take that vacation with your money and expect you to uh, understand afterwards a lot of competition out there. And if you are lower on the list to be paid, uh, and some companies are, you've got to be better at collecting than your competition is. And that's what we train people how to do. Well, and when it comes to your training, you've, you're sort of aiming for a standardized collection training, and you call it PACE, the Professional Account Collection Education. Talk a bit about that. Well, it, there are standards. There are certain things that we believe need to be done, uh, for example, from some of our modules, in composing a letter or an email. Now, Before we even get to the composing part, it's the format, because you could have the best written letter or email in the world, but if people don't read it, it doesn't make any difference. So we deal with format first. So there's certain uh, guidelines that we provide people that you need to follow. And then we talk about the content. In a collection call, now if you remember, Andreas, I mentioned before about it being a science and being an art. Mm -hmm. Uh, The science science part of it, you know, the the more contacts that you can make uh, with your customers who are past due... Uh, the more successful you're going to tend to be in your receivables management. But there's a contact, and then there's a contact. And what I mean by that is that you can have someone who's relatively inexperienced uh, speaking to someone on the telephone, or you can have someone who's been around, been around the block a few times making a contact. There is criteria that needs to take place in making a telephone collection call. We provide a, a, a collection call checklist things that should be done. And and the most important one out of them, surprisingly enough, is a simple and eloquent request for the customer to pay the bill, asking for the money. The single biggest cause of bad debt write-offs is procrastination. With every day you wait, the chances of ever getting paid go down. At MetCredit, we get it. We collect business receivables fast. And if we don't succeed, you don't pay. Go to MetCredit.com and stop waiting for money you deserve. MetCredit, we get it. Just ask. Just as well, not asking, but not, yeah. not just ask. In that, uh, just I could say, Andreas, pay your bill. Yeah. Or I could, 
uh, approach it in a bit of a different <laughs> way. That, and that's the art part that, that comes into it. Right. However, that, that, that needs to be done. It needs to be done well. And there's always room for improvement. Uh, our latest uh, program that I teach is called Zen and the Art of Accounts Receivable Management. And that's how to make the perfect collection call. You never get there, but you know, perfection is what we want to aim for, uh, doing the very best job that you, that you possibly can. So standards that need to be met for dealing with excuses, uh, letters, phone calls, uh, tailoring your approach to your customer. And within the PACE program, there's online testing uh, that people need to pass. Uh, they can take the testing as many times as they need to in order to get the passing. There's assignments they have to complete. And all of that is followed by uh, a collection call with one of our instructors or even perhaps myself sometimes where they have to make uh, the collection call. It's got to be successful. And then they get their designation as a CFCP, Certified Financial Collection Professional, as recognized by the Center for Professional Collections. Cool. Now, you, you also have two streams. One is commercial and one is consumer collections. What are the differences between the two that you need to stream them? Well, in some respects, we could say that collections is collections. There are some things needed to be done, whether it's a consumer who owes you the money out of their own pocket or your Aunt Sally, for that matter, or whether it is business to business. We have to contact the people. We have to make an approach. We have to deal with excuses they're going to get. But there are some differences in consumer versus commercial collections, not even just the excuses. But, for example, uh, in the first book I wrote on collections, I have a chapter titled Collecting from Relatives and Former Friends. (laughs) Which is how they end up. Well, it it tends to be. I think I just read a quote this morning that says the quickest way to lose a friend is to loan them some money. Right. And and there's something to to that. You would think if a friend or a relative owes you money and they also owe the bank money, that they would pay you first. You would think. But do you think so? But they don't. They pay you last. Andreas is my brother-in-law. I borrowed $1,000 from him last year. I was supposed to pay six months ago, but uh, hey, he'll understand. The bank, the finance company doesn't understand. They call me up and they want the money right now. But when you call up, you just, you know, you talk about the weather a little bit, how are things going. You don't bring up the money, and I sure as heck don't bring it up. And what happens in situations like that, weeks, months, sometimes years go by. Then there's a wedding or a funeral somewhere, and maybe you get a martini and you come looking for me because mm-hmm. I drove up with a newish car nice new outfit, and I will have forgotten about the money because it's amazing how quickly debtor amnesia can set in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In, in consumer collections, my recommendation is try to avoid being on a first-name basis with your customers, or at least you want a bit more formality involved. Uh, they're not, you're going to be friendly. You're certainly going to be diplomatic. There's no good reason to treat somebody badly, but they're not your pal. They're not your buddy. Well, it is a different relationship. I mean, you're you're transposing this financial relationship on a personal relationship, and they're not exactly compatible. Uh, well, no, they're not, and, and it's tough. And, and I mean, think of how many friendships have been lost forever uh, because of this. And someone told me once, that, or suggested to me once, that you know, friendships are changed as soon as you loan uh, someone money. Well, the friendship is changed as soon as somebody asks for the money. Right. Yeah. Whether you loan it to them or not, it changes the friendship. It's it's never going to be quite the same, quite the same again. Uh, and and for some folks, you know, when they've talked about a friend or relatives that owes them some money, sometimes I say, you know, despite the fact that my business is collections, I say, if the money's that important to you, by all means, go after it. Right. But you know, maybe you want to consider keeping the friendship and letting it go. But but if you're going to let it go, tell them. 
you know, don't don't just have it something that, you know, they're going to be thinking about or you're going to bring up at the odd time. If you're going to let it go, by all means do so. Say, hey, hey, Bill, I know, you know, times may not be rough for you that uh, $500 you owe me. Consider it a gift. It's done. It's over with. And and, and keep the friendship. It, now, it'll never be quite the same, granted. Right. Yeah. But still, uh, better to have somewhat of a, you know, how many friends can you get for 500 bucks? <laughs> it might be. <laughs> yeah. It might be. It might be a pretty good deal. But other than that, other than that, sometimes we say the heck with that. Uh, you know, I, I want the money. Now, on, on in businesses, uh, if you're dealing, let's say, with an accounts payable clerk, you want to be on a first name basis. If they break a promise, they break it to you, not to some faceless company they won't care about that much. Right. So in some respects there, there you do want to have a different relationships. And that's that and a few other are the areas, uh, the art aspect. Uh, is why we have different streams for both consumer and commercial collections. You know, it's it's really interesting that in friendships, you really need to keep your distance in terms of finance, but in financial relationships, you need to stay personal. That's true. That's true. Now, That's it so can be a little, bit a little bit different if you're dealing with the owner of a small business. Right, yeah. Because that's where you're dealing with someone who is, it, it is their money, but... Uh, it, 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 so you, you, you've got to do a, and there that you get the yin and the yang of the Zen aspect that I talk about. You, you've got to be friendly, but not being too friendly, and recognize that it's a little bit of a different approach that you you, you need to have. A, a book I recommend for that, by the way, if you have to deal with small business people, uh, there's a book titled "Where Have All the Woolly Mammoths Gone?" Where have all the woolly mammoths gone? Okay, and who's that yes. by? Written by a fellow named Ted Frost. It's been around for a period of time. It is a survival guide for the small business person threatened with extinction, just like the woolly mammoths of a long time ago. Hmm. What he covers in his book, if you're going to start a small business, you know somebody that is, uh, it's a good book to read because he covers the survival guide. These are the things that you must do in order to survive. Now, if you need to collect from a small business person, you need to be able to talk the same language. You want to know the sort of things that they face. You've got to go walk about in their shoes mm -hmm. a little bit. And, and that's where you start to talk about the tailored approach uh, that you're going to use with people. Uh, empathy is very important when you're dealing with uh, things such as excuses. But I always tell people, as important as empathy is, do not make the mistake of saying, I understand how you feel. Right. Because the odds are you don't. You don't, yeah. You don't. Even if you went through some of the same challenges, uh, it's going to be different for other people. Now, to say, hey, I went through I went through something like this, and here's how I felt, or it must be difficult for you, powerful stuff, but you got to be careful. We know you do online training, and so yep. do you do training on-site elsewhere? Yes, I do. That's that's uh, much of my work, probably about 90%, 90, 95% of my work is uh, organizations will call me to, to have me come in and, and train their people how to collect and still keep more of their customers. That's the sort of thing that we do. When it comes to training and especially corporations and things, do you do ongoing professional development and training for that as well? We we there I've I've had some people that have come to two, three, or even more of my my my, my programs, but it doesn't happen that often. Uh, some of the folks who went through the Pace program, uh, it's been around for about fifteen years now. They came back and said, "We we want to do more. What what what? We like the program so much. What else do you have?" We developed something called Dare D A R E. And that stands for Delinquent Account Receivable Expert, where we go into an advanced program. Uh, and maybe about 5% of the PACE graduates uh, go into that program, and we just get, get – and that's how to do better what they already do well. So just more advanced training. 
and I do want to mention one, uh, maybe two things, Andreas, if I may. Uh, for many people, they may be thinking, well, what do I want to do collection training for? This is not the sort of business I'm going to stay in. It's not, uh, uh, it's not my career. I suggest that if you can do collections well, you can do just about anything. Because once again, when I go back to that aspect of you know being able to, to have people do something they don't want to do and like it, that's a pretty good skill to have. So if people pay attention and they and they become an expert, let's say, in accounts receivable, they can do just about anything. You can do sales, you can do marketing, you can do so many different things. And what the other aspect I want to mention was dealing with excuses. Now, I use the word excuse. I don't mean it in a disparaging way because for some folks it's a real and good reason for a, a payment not being made or delayed. But in any business, there are about nine to ten excuses that people will hear 95% of the time. You've heard them before, you know you're going to hear them again. But too many times, people hear an excuse, they'll hang up the telephone, and then they will remember, geez, I should have asked them something else. Uh, they've missed out. We develop on our programs an excuse terminator for each individual person that goes through the program, something that will allow them to deal effectively with those excuses that they're going to hear almost uh, 99% of the time. We like to give the audience a couple of things to sort of hang their hat on with each guest. So can you give us a couple of things in terms of collections that small and medium businesses should really think about? Just something that they can kind of, this is a way to think about collections going forward or receivables. Well, a couple of things, if I may. First of all, I, I'm sure many folks have heard the phrase before. It's cool, calm, and collected. Uh, something that I, I will ask people sometimes, I will say, should you collect as if it was your money? Now, if you've got someone out there who's a small business person, of course they're going to collect like it's their money, but mm -hmm. I suspect a lot of your audience is working in an organization. And my suggestion to them is that you will do, oddly enough, a better job when you consider that it's not your money. Now, why is that? When it's our money, we tend to get the blinders on. We take things personally. Hmm. This, this is why there are professionals. There are Think of the agents that are out there for an actor or a sports uh, player. Uh, why give somebody 10, 15, 20% of your money that they negotiate on? The only reason you do is because the 80% that you would get is more than the 100% you would get negotiating on your own. Uh, professionals, don't take it personally. Uh, that's covered in a, a, a great negotiating book by Herb Cohen uh, when he talks about, uh, you know, the approach to use. It's, uh, it isn't your money, and you'll do a much better job when you realize that. Everybody pay up. That's all for this episode of Overdue Advice. Thanks to Tim Paulson for taking the time, and thank you for listening. Visit Tim Paulson's website at trpaulson.com, T-R-P-A-U-L-S-E-N.com. We'll have links in the episode notes. MetCredit is on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter at MetCredit. Visit MetCredit CEO Brian Sommerfeld's blog at blog.metcredit.com. It includes useful tools and calculators to assess your business debt risk. We want to hear from you. Subscribe, like, or leave a review to the podcast, or share it with a friend or business associate. It really does help others find this important information. Drop us a line at overdueadvice at metcredit.com. Overdue Advice is the podcast about cash flow strategies to grow your business. Thanks for listening. I'm Andrea Schwabe. 
you run a business, you're successful. You don't wait for things to happen. You make them happen. So why aren't you collecting what's owed to you? The longer you wait, the less chance you'll ever see a cent. So call Met Credit. We're your local debt recovery team, serving businesses of all sizes since 1973. And don't worry, we play nice. We're here to uphold your reputation and relationships. And speaking of nice, if we don't collect, you don't pay. Zero risk. Get to know us for when you need us at metcredit.com. 